Hello, I'm novelist and critic Kim Newman. And I'm author and filmmaker Sean Hogan. And we're here to uh, deliver a commentary track for the, I think, much underrated uh, Michael yeah. Tuckner film of Alistair MacLean's Fear is the Key. Sean, do you want to talk us through the setup of, uh, <laughs> of this movie, which starts in media? Notice it doesn't have uh, a possessory credit for which, Alice which many McLean. Many of the others do, I think. Yeah, um, um, we should say that there was. It, I'm not. Can you call it an actual cycle when it's one producer hooked up with one author creator, and in the the early 70s, there were a whole bunch of films adapted from Alistair MacLean's novels, and he got the sort of treatment in the movies that Stephen King did in the 1980s, yeah. where it was said that if Stephen King were to publish his laundry list, <laughs> Dino De Laurentiis would buy up the rights and would make a film called Stephen King's Laundry List. He, in fact, did make a film <laughs> called The Mangler, set in a laundry. So that, that might have But there were a whole bunch of, of Alistair MacLean Films. Yeah, I mean, basically, you had the sort of big ones. You had the Guns of Navarone. And... That was the thing that, that broke McLean as a film name. His first novel is HMS Ulysses, which is the autobiographical World War II um, naval story, which, for, unusually, is the one that that hasn't been filmed. <laughs> yeah, it's it, and yet it was the like the important one to him. Um, it, I think it probably didn't get filmed because it's a bit too close to Nicholas Monserrat's The Cruel Sea, which was a massively successful right. British film. But everything else, Maclean wrote. Yeah. Um, and then, so Elliot Castor persuades him to write Where Eagles Dare as an original, mm -hmm. which he later turned into a novel. And then after that was a huge hit, does this multi-picture mm -hmm. deal with him. So you get a whole bunch of these Castor-Maclean movies. Mm -hmm. um, and... This, you know, uh, in recent years, this seems to have starting to acquire a bit of a reputation mm. as a cult movie, possibly because a bit because of Barry Newman. Yeah, and I think that we'll get to it because it starts very soon. An astonishing yep. 30 minute first act car chase. But most of the, the Kastner McLean films were, were like Where Eagles Dare, where. Kastner would commission a, a treatment or an outline from McLean, who would then write a novel and a script in parallel. This is actually an adaptation of an earlier novel. I mean, a, a slightly atypical um, Alistair McLean novel, isn't it? It's, uh, it, it's from 1961, um, and... In the, in the the novel, the lead character is British, but it's it's entirely set in America, yeah. and it's uh, I think probably McLean was influenced by not not by the James Bond films, which hadn't started then, but by Ian Fleming. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They are closer in tone to Ian Fleming um, than say Eric Ambler as yes, yeah, yeah. you know international intrigue very chase action based yeah. although this 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 one has a mystery as well i mean it's it's often overlooked how much or many of mclean's stories have twists or a who oh, yeah, done it absolutely I think that's one of, one of yeah. the really good things about this movie is the fact that it keeps wrong footing you and it keeps mm. upping the stakes and it does that very well i think 
But, uh, and we've had this rather enigmatic uh, introductory prologue, which we'll, we'll re- revisit later as it's yeah, explained. And it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. Watching it again, I was sort of struck yeah. by the fact that it, it, it all kind of happens off screen. You sort of think, yeah. was that a choice or was that a budgetary decision to have the sort of deaths of his family happen? I think it's... I think it's a choice. The novel um, opens with that as that chapter. It has a bit more context in the novel and is much more tied to current events. It's sort of pre-revolutionary Cuba uh, is figures greatly. In, uh, it's Colombia is the the, the country that it uh, is, is trying to um, export its gold reserves. And it's what Hitchcock called a MacGuffin. It's yes. the stuff that everybody in the film cares about, but you really don't. Yes, it, yeah. it could be, I think it's industrial diamonds as well as gold, isn't right. it? It's like, yeah, the microfilm or the the the, um, the ultimate version is the, the great what's it in Kiss Me Deadly. Yeah, it's course. like yeah. that's, that's a MacGuffin, <laughs> which then becomes the, the, the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It's like... You're not supposed to think too much about it. It doesn't really matter. Well, what struck me, I, I sort of had a quick look at the book after rewatching this, and and I, although I think like the books, the book's really well plotted. One of the things I think you could accuse it of is being somewhat long-winded. Yeah, it, it's a little before. Um, McLean became a leaner writer when he was working from screen trees. Yeah. In fact, I think some of the. Um, the books that he wrote while he was writing screenplays at the same time, they read so much like screen treatments that right. they're rather unsatisfying as novels. I think yeah. they they are intermediary stages. To although I I'm of a generation that I I saw these films when they came out um, with my dad on Friday nights. It's like we wanted to go to the cinema and. I was too young to go and see like even double A rated horror films or the, the kind of stuff I was really interested in. You only got a Bond film every two years. Yep. Yeah. So something had to fill the gap. And these were perfect bloke movies. Yes. Yeah. It's yep. like me and my dad would go and watch yeah, the Alistair McLean movies. And, and I don't think. I th- and certainly in our house, we had one or two of the books, but he was not a. a a, an author that you would naturally revisit. It was like he was a a, a franchise, yeah. And for, in prepping this, I've gone back and reread. I've read Fear Is the Key and a, and a bunch of the other books, and I'm getting a bit more appreciation of McLean as a, a functional yeah. writer. Uh, you can see that he really gets that, yeah. The twist at the end of the chapter, which means you can't put yes. the bookmark in and, and nod off. You can see it is a stay up till three in the morning to find out. Because he's the absolute master of the hook. Yeah. The little hook that goes to the the next thing. And, yeah, I, I think he did. He started out as a serious writer with HMS yeah. Ulysses. Yeah. And then he lucked into being... A brand name writer, yeah, sort of uh, high adventure kind of. Yeah, thing, yeah. and yeah, it, it's a a, a, a a few other writers. Wilbur Smith was yeah, one yeah. had that sort of mode, and maybe later Andy McNabb, those kind of yeah, brother sure. to yeah, zero yeah. again, yeah, SAS type books, and and a much in a much more nuanced and interesting way. David Morell 
right, uh, yes, who wrote yes, First yes. Blood and yeah. Testament and a bunch of other novels, who, who was actually a, 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 a literary writer who just happens to write brilliant thrillers. Um, and now maybe Lee Child has that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. franchise of those kind of books, which aren't really whodunits, although they all have mysteries in. They are action books. Yes, They're the, yeah, good. yeah. And uh, as a thesis, I think we're probably going to end up expressing and defending. Wouldn't you say that Alistair MacLean invented the 80s action movie? Uh, yeah, I think absolutely, yeah. There's definitely uh, an argument to be made there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I think credit need we should give credit to Robert Carrington as well, who adapted mm. this because I think it's a it's a pretty faithful adaptation. It is. It's very very close. But he yeah. strips away what yeah. isn't needed very well. Yeah, he drops a couple of key characters, yeah. combines some. Uh, we've it's like we've only got one sadistic thug, and there are two yes. interchangeable yeah. ones in in the book, um, and. Yeah, it is a. Uh, but like this scene in the book yeah. goes on forever. There's so yes. much exposition in yeah. this scene. Uh, yeah, the, it's, the, it, it's it's the it's it's actually quite clever. In the the judge reads out the uh, the character's sort of criminal yes. record <laughs> and backstory and biography, and you think no judge in a court would do that. <laughs> and later on, you find out that it's all made up yes. and invented, and the whole point is to convince yes. Yes. other people. That, uh, that our a bit actual of that hero, here, but it's kind of yeah, in shorthand. That uh, yeah, that that Talbot is as crooked as as is. Uh, this was made during the two or three years when Barry Newman was a star. Yes, I mean I, now I think you know he's very good in this movie, yeah. um, but possibly only could have been a leading man in the seventies. Yeah. yeah, and even uh, then, not for very long. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, the vanishing point was yeah. the thing that broke him yeah. big. I mean, I suppose he's got that sort of, yeah, he, he's good looking, but he's not impossibly good yeah. looking. Yeah. There's a bit of the sort of Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Yeah. Richard Benjamin, slightly dorky, yes. pretty hair. Yeah. He, he often played Italians. Um, I mean, he was Petrocelli was yes. his TV series, yeah. uh, which. Uh, actually it's a really good show um, and not much remembered but there was this there was the Salzburg connection that's about it yeah, for, for yeah. him as, as a leading man I, yeah. but I think one of the things that really works for this with him as well is that he's not movie star likable yeah so when yeah. you get this sort of mm. this plot reversal of like mm. you, you actually you know the movie sets him up as a bit of a bad guy yeah for the opening yeah. stretch it kind of works because yeah. you sort of think well you yeah, know maybe we he's are... not robert redford yeah so maybe we are in a film which is just about a, a bad guy getting away with yes. it and uh yeah and i think that the novel which sort of has to equivocate a bit because it's a first person uh yeah type story uh but still conceals the fact that Talbot yes. is a goodie yes. until halfway there. It it reminds me of the, the story Billy Wilder told when he offered Dublin indemnity to George Raft. George Raft said, got back to him and he was halfway through reading it and said, yeah, this is terrific. I'll have to do it. When, when, when's the lapel turn coming? <laughs> uh, and Wilder said, what? That's the, the, the lapel turn, the bit where the guy turns his collar around and you see a badge and you realize he's not been a, a, a crook all along and Wilder had to admit that actually no yeah Walter Neff in Dublin Dempsey he's just a bad guy but this is a is a, a film that has a lapel yeah. turn yes um and I think it's something that uh McLean kind of likes he likes these sort of ambiguous that 
one of the things about tough guy adventure books is that they are male fantasies. So yes, the lead yeah. character, um, notably James Bond, is somebody who's sort of empty but has to be filled by the reader. Yeah. As as a, as a, here, we so much of his backstory is withheld. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. what we get is who he is on screen, and so he has to be an actor who's interesting yeah, enough yeah, to watch. Yeah. Because he's not telling us the truth or showing yeah. us an actual character. And, now, I, and I think he does do that. Right. Now, here we're getting into the reason why people remember this film. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk talk us through um, the, the, the history of car chases <laughs> up, up to this point on why it I was mean, a thing I, in the you 70s? Know, I sort of wonder what happened first, whether they, whether they wrote this car chase and then yeah. thought, Let's get Barry Newman. I mean, they obviously would have cast Barry Newman off the back of Vanishing Point. Yeah. Whether they mm. then put the car chase in mm. the script. Well, it's in the novel. It's kind of in the novel, but yeah. it's certainly not 20 minutes long in yeah. the novel. No, it's not. But it, it the novel does, it, it lays out all the beats of this car chase uh, are there, including the, I think, the quite clever thing that actually plays into a thing we know about movie car chases where he plows through this stuff here and it, it, we've joked about it before how how many action scenes seem to involve mysterious piles of empty cardboard boxes yes. <laughs> there. and there's a bit where he plows through the empty barrels and later on says oh they didn't have time to get full ones which would have stopped us yeah. and then you're oh no the whole thing has been staged yes it's, it's, <laughs> you know, the, the whole point but yeah the, um they kind of missed a trick not putting him in a white Dodge Challenger. Yes, but. I know. But, it, it, but we've got... A, a, yeah, I'm not a, a gearhead, so I'm not up on the, <laughs> the makes, but it, it's, a, it's a cool American muscle yes, car it, yeah, that, yeah. that, that we, we, we are happy to believe yes. that, that would be parked outside the courtyard. And indeed, of course, it has been parked there specially to be... Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so apparently it was the same stunt coordinator as Vanishing yeah. Point uh, that, 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 that did the driving in this. Yeah, and, it's but, uh, Kerry Loftin, yes. who is probably best remembered now as the truck driver in Duel. Uh, right. He's the stunt arranger, but he's also the man who drove the, the truck. The <laughs> yes. elbow, yeah. But he, um, he, he's also the driver of Christine. Right. Um, okay. So you yeah. don't see, yeah. the yeah. film in which you don't see him. Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he was the one that taught Barry Newman how yeah. to drive, apparently. Ah. Uh, and um, and Barry Newman did indeed do most of the actual driving, other than the the, 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 the literal stunts. Yeah, and. Uh, Gary Lofty is one of those guys. You go to his filmography and it's like 400 credits on <laughs> film and TV, including, uh, yeah, uh, obvious stuff like um, the Cannonball Run and uh, actually some of Mad Max too. Uh, yeah. uh, but he was quite often called in, for instance, he staged the, um, the, the single car accident in Blowout. Right, which is that's a film that it has a chase in it as well, but it's obviously yes, the, yeah. the plot is triggered by something that happens with a car. Yeah. So he was the specialist they brought into that, uh, and as a, um, a, a a stunt man, he goes back to like the nineteen thirties. He did stunts on the Buck Rogers serial. Um, he's in. Um, House of Dracula, he he doubles Onslow Stevens right. in that. It's like so he so he's like 
uh, one of the the hidden masters of Hollywood. And if you have to put if if we can suggest that a stunt coordinator driver is auteur, this yes. sequence yeah, yeah. is an absolute testimony yeah. to what Kerry yeah. Loftin brought to the cinema. And I I we we have friends who work in sort of tech fields in the in the movies i know um special makeup effects artists yes. and they can watch a film and without seeing the credits say oh that's dick smith right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think people who work in in stunts yeah. can spot sure. carry yeah. loft in yeah. uh chase uh, because it's relentless yeah. isn't it the way that it builds uh and obviously it's location specific um, it's like you, you uh, the, yeah, yeah you find found this roads. location and built the sequence around yeah. it. Um, and it, the, I, I think that this sequence and it, it actually looking at another, uh, McLean film around this time, Puppet on a Chain, which has a speedboat chase right. that, uh, Don Sharp, um, uh, staged that. Those individual sequences, if you take them out of the, the films they're in, are absolutely the equal of anything in the James Bond right, series yeah, around yeah. around the time. And to the extent you can see that the James Bond series start realizing that and trying to one up yes, these Alistair McLean yeah, movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think actually another uh, of the series, When Eight Bells Toll. To me, it's like um, a sketch for what a Daniel Craig James right. Bond film is. It's so close to the tone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with those. that film, you can see that they were possibly trying to start a rival franchise, yeah. the Bond. Yeah, it would have been great if Anthony Hopkins yes. had taken <laughs> off as the rival Bond of the early set. Would it have changed his career yeah. in any way? I mean, it, and that's a, a, a film I, I recall very fondly. I think it really worked yeah. as a, 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 a secret agent film. It's that at some point, uh, McLean shifted from... He started out writing World War II um, action adventures. And then there's this run of films about international crime of various sorts there are a couple about drug smuggling yeah. and then he moved to secret agents um because and he wrote a western as well breakheart pass although it's a, a western that's sort of an action movie yes. it's die hard on yeah. a train um, um but so many of them they still have the, the, the like the sea is always an element yeah. or the, the extreme cold because that was that was where he when he was in yes. the army in the, in the yeah. navy that yeah. was where he worked yeah and he he writes brilliantly about yes. the sea i mean maybe not as as poetically as nicholas monstrat but it is clearly the, the i i've always felt that everybody who is a huge bestseller they can't all be faking it yeah, yeah. there's got to be some core of meaning or belief or a, a, a personal connection and with McLean it does tend to be yes. it's the weather how, yes, yeah, how, yeah. how British is that yeah. and, and, and actually not just British Scots isn't it how, yeah that's what's, yeah. what what he has it's, it's like um, I know he he writes snow doesn't yes, he yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and actually uh, another is this there's the, um, the dangling from the cable car and where he goes there it's, it's something you, that happened before the bond movies did yep, that yep, yeah yep, um yep. but again it's that climbing icy mountain yes, yep, yeah yep. Uh, 
But uh, and and yeah, the there's n seldom much uh, or any psychological depth in no. them, but there's a lot of physical challenge yes. to yeah. the yeah. To, to to his world. But that's what uh, yeah. I think. One of the things that works for this is that you know the the Barry Newman character is sort of fairly thin on the page in yeah. this, but he gives it depth. I think yeah. you know he manages to suggest. Yeah, the, what's going on behind the, his eyes? The character in the book is English, um, and he's also he, he's got ridiculous red hair and a bizarre scar, which turn out to be disguised. <laughs> right. But he's wearing on there. And actually, they've given Barry Newman the scar. Yeah. Um, and I'm not. I don't think they even um, retained the explanation of why he's he's got it. I don't it. think so. No. Um, and it's supposed to be plastic surgery to make him look like a rotter, which is yeah, I know that is the sort of thing that maybe it was just about acceptable in a novel published in the early sixties. By this time, by the time of this movie, so much of that sort of stuff had gone by the wayside yeah. and is rather left out of. Um, the the movies, isn't it? Um. I'm astonished that they keep this going. Yes, that it, it yeah. sort of pauses and then starts yeah. up again. Yeah. yeah. Uh. It's a sort of relentless place. There, I. There's this sort of revisionism that seems to assume that this kind of filmmaking didn't get going until the 80s. But right. actually, here it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, I mean, I, we'd had the, um, uh, the car chases of Bullet yeah. and the French Connection, which seemed to be the, uh, the touchstones for car chases. Yeah. That, the, but... It's odd that if you look at those films, you could take the car chases out and it wouldn't affect the story. Yes, yeah, is it? Yeah. They're, they're, they're both rather arbitrarily in the yeah. middle of the, of the pictures. I think they're both um, added um, to pre-existing scenarios. They're not in the books that um, are adapted. Whereas, as I say, this is in the plane's book. Yeah. And here yeah, I... D this is one of those sort of deceptively simple bits of driving, isn't it? It's yeah. like it's amazing, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Uh, but we're not being asked to believe in absolutely impossible no. things. It's not the um, Roger Moore driving a gondola with yeah, right, an artificial yes, yeah. duck um, <laughs> mode of, yeah. of stunt, is it? Uh, but uh, I mean, the other interesting thing about this film was it the way that it kind of inverts you get the, the this huge action sequence mm -hmm. right at the beginning of the movie and the climax of the movie is literally three guys in a room yeah. or you know yeah. in a bathosphere yeah um, um well it's i wonder if that's because they felt the novel was sacrosanct if you bought an alistair mclean yeah. novel you'd do it I, I one of the things that i find strange about this whole run of of uh Films from uh, from the Guns of Navarone through to um, uh, 
Where Are Your Dare, the whole bunch of them, is that none of them have been remade. Mm. And you'd think if you were making this again, you'd put a big action sequence towards the end of it. I mean, the the climax of the, the novel is, is the... Uh, the bathosphere sequence but before that there's a um uh, a long act which is basically die hard on an oil rig right yeah isn't it i, I mean asthma claim seemed to have invented the die yes. hard <laughs> on press. um and that you can see being built up yes, with yeah, a yeah yeah, yeah. A, if if yeah uh, ryan reynolds or yeah, chris yeah, hemsworth yeah, were yeah, making furious yes, yeah, yeah. which but either of them would be fine for yeah, it, actually. Yeah, it would work. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the, Although I think it's important to say, I think it really works in this. I think yeah. the climax is really tense oh, yeah. in this. Yeah. No, it it's just unusual. shows that you don't yeah. need to keep upping the action yeah. stakes. Yeah. Because if you're starting with this and then you went bigger, yeah. yes. it, yeah. would be, yeah. it, it would be complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and how many different. Um, varieties of landscape know, that we yeah. had, <laughs> in, and yet it is just about believable. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I I haven't checked the locations to see if they're all <laughs> yeah even in the same state. Um, but, uh, and as with the the novel, I get the feeling that this is very much a a British idea of America. Yeah, yeah. I somebody once sort of. Uh, said that in response to the idea that the movies misre misrepresent countries it says what would you think italy was like if you just watched operas <laughs> you know if, if if you watched a bunch of of all those verdi operas would you assume it was people stabbing each other and dying in the streets and singing and falling off balconies and and, and having yeah complicated incestuous affairs all the time but this is the america that you imagine yeah. from the movies isn't it it's like yeah, it is non-stop kind of, yeah, it's muscle cars yes. and action <laughs> and, uh, yeah, pretty girls, yeah, yeah eccentrics. <laughs> Redneck but, cops. Yeah. A, a thing that I see, um, I, I assume it's a touch from uh, Michael Tuckner, the, the director. It's something that's also in um, Don Siegel's films, uh, Dirty Harry or Charlie Varick around this, this time. You get the... Um, the main characters having their plot, but you have these little bits where you see ordinary people in the background. Right. Quite often, he pans away and shows children yeah. and people just getting on with their lives, yeah, unnoticing. Here we have this sort of relatively placid, happy crowd, and, and uh, very early on, you saw a um, a black mother and child or a um, older sister and child by the roadside. Yeah, and it's like I think it's the only notion that there might be non-white people right, in, yes. in Louisiana in in, the, in this film. But it's an, an acknowledgement that there are other people. It's not a depopulated countryside in the way that the. Um, the more stylized Walter Hill type action right, yes, movies yeah, eliminate. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, there's a, there's a line in Repo Man where Harry Dean Stanton says, "I hate ordinary yep. people." <laughs> yeah, and, it's it. and and that's it. They're 80s action movies. They they have heroes, villains, and victims. Yes, but yeah. ordinary people. Yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah innocent bystanders do not feature. Yeah, here. They, I mean, they're there all the time, uh, and I, I, 
think it's not something that's necessary, but it gives a real nice texture. Yeah, and you pictures. sort of think, I mean, we haven't really talked about mm. Michael Tuckner yet, but yeah. given his background, the fact that he kind of came out of play from to play for today and yeah. stuff like that and you sort of think well maybe he was a bit more focused on this kind of real life sort of stuff yeah and that's one of his tv credits is an episode of wicker's world called how they filmed grand prix about that huge john frankenheimer right, yeah. racing movie so maybe that gave him <laughs> an, an insight a direct directing that but his um I mean, his first film is 1971, Villain, yeah. made uh, before this, uh, which is uh, it's a bit over overshadowed by Get Carter, but it's a terrific British gangster movie with Richard Burton playing basically both Cray brothers yes. at the same time. <laughs> uh, and it's a, it's another one of those really arresting British films. Yeah. It, it It's... It creeps out. He's got a great cast because all British films have great yes. casts in the seventies. It's like presumably everybody was desperate for work, so you could get, yeah, um, yeah, Ian McShane yes. and, and <laughs> would would turn up and, and play, uh, yeah, Richard Burton's boyfriend. Yeah, um, but it's got an astonishingly uh, grim, gritty yeah. London crime feel to it. Lots of corruption, lots of sleaze. And Richard Burton actually gives a sketch of the performance Al Pacino gives in Scarface. Yes. He has a bit yeah. where he's addressing other yeah. people in a restaurant saying, yeah, you all want to be me. I'm a, yeah. yeah. Um, but that must have, obviously, it proved he could direct action. That has a pretty good um, heist sequence in it. Uh, yeah. And, and a, 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 sort of a lot of thuggery. And then he, he did this, and then he was sort of back to television. I yeah, mean, the only weird. significant... I mean, he did um, a film of the old Curiosity Shop, and he did the 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 movie spin-off of The Likely Lads. Yeah, a film which obviously is a masterpiece. <laughs> um, and then... I, uh, I mean, there's a, a TV version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Anthony Hopkins, which is disappointing but interesting. He did a couple of really good tales of the unexpected, and he did make um, some later features. Wilt, um, which I actually I remember being rather disappointed by. It's a very funny book turned into an right, ordinarily yes, yeah, yeah. funny uh, Mel Smith Griffith Jones movie. But he, he's yeah, uh, he kept going until 2004. But it's, uh, he, it's, he passed away in, in 2017. But uh -huh. you think this and Villain are so kind of assured mm. that it's just a surprise he never really did anything of this kind of scale or, or, or you know, yeah. like this again. I would put... It's, it's like... A, a, a comparable director, Mike Hodges, obviously yep. Yep. did Get Carter and Pulp. Yep. And then, although he has Flash Gordon... His career has, is distinguished by, you know, he, di he also went back into television yeah. and long periods of projects that didn't come together yeah, or, yeah. yeah, it's frustrating. You, you look at his, his CV and, and although you think of him as an A-list director, he spent more years not working sure, than he did yeah, working. Yeah. Um, actually, Michael Tuckner worked more consistently, um, but, yeah, without... Uh, getting the, the I understand that com this comparatively didn't do as well as at the box office as other films in in this run it didn't do as well as where Eagles dare no um, I think I, th I think it did well in the UK but didn't yeah. do much in the US yeah 
Um, and I think that that may well have loomed, but even yeah. even so, yeah. um, you'd think as a calling card. You know, yeah, um, there are there are plenty of considering that Michael Winner and J. Lee Thompson <laughs> were never out of work in the nineteen seventies. Uh, J. Lee Thompson was directed Guns of Navarone, yes, yeah. and actually some other really interesting films at that stage of his career. But he did become yes the <laughs> the. the, the uh, <laughs> The the guy who'd direct Charles Bronson if Michael Winner wasn't available, yeah, um, and there are, and there are a few other, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, as you know, the British cinema is perpetually in crisis. Oh yes, <laughs> um, and there are so many people who, uh, yeah, you look at their careers and, and wonder how yeah. how did they go from th this great stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're just checking in. This chase is still going on, right? Um, we are, yeah. We're out of the car and into a, a, a foot chase. Yeah. Uh. And I think that's technically the end of this sequence, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are thirty-three minutes into this film. And it's all, apart from that little prologue in the courtroom scene, yep. it has all been chased. Action, yep. um, and it makes you realise how exposition heavy most exactly, thrillers yeah, yeah, or action yeah. films are. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is the... Um, the Action can be character and emotion. Yeah, yeah. The, these people already have relationships. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and we already sort of. <laughs> no, I think I mean, let's just like Robert. Interestingly, like Robert character didn't really do very much. He adapted mm. Wait Until Dark. Yeah. Which you kind of think he probably didn't have to do very much. <laughs> no, in yeah. Terms of adaptation. That, that is, a, and he he wrote a movie called Kaleidoscope, a heist movie yeah. with Warren Beatty that I remember enjoying, but I think. Is very 1960s. Yes, um, but this is really a kind of a model of, of adaptation, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it has that lean, mean feel, doesn't yes, it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, another character who isn't quite what he seems. Yeah, uh, um, it's sort of a McLean staple. Yeah, and it's something I noticed. It's in um, all his films have the idea of quite often the the last act will reveal that one of our side was the villain yes, all along yes, here yeah. it's the other thing a guy you think is the villain yeah or is a villain is actually a good guy yeah but you don't learn that until later yeah. it's it's like uh mclean is switching up his usual yes. things um but he does that again in break heart pass where yes. bronson is set up as a yeah you know, as an yeah. villain. yeah i think by then he is recycling yes, his, yes, his yeah. basic premises <laughs> yes. there uh yeah that that also is an enormously elaborate undercover yes, yes, yeah. uh <laughs> operation yeah uh, uh. but it yeah Dolph sweet who's one of the few the film's few actual americans uh plays the role he uh not um uh, this is actually probably one of his best roles, isn't it? He's in a lot of films, but quite often in, in tiny bits and pieces. He's in, like, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 uh, as a voiceover, uncredited. <laughs> yeah. um, 
He played in um, a TV miniseries about uh, Martin Luther King. He played J. Edgar Hoover. Um, and it's, it's yeah, again, a, a long... <laughs> a, 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 a long career of bit roles. This is one of the most prominent. Right. Uh, he got, I, I, it's on, he, that if you're going to get just, apart from Barry Newman, just one American in a film, he was an odd choice. Um, but, uh, considering that the, the, the rest of the gang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think one thing you can uh, sort of fairly accuse this film and, and indeed many other McLean works of are, are sort of somewhat thin female characters. <laughs> yeah, we've not mentioned uh, uh, Susie, Kendall. Susie Kendall again during her quite brief win window as a leading yeah. lady. Um, I always like her as a presence. Yes, she's, yes, yes, very engaging. Uh, as she... a as, as you know, fans of. Uh, yeah, Italian uh, horror cinema. We remember her for *Bird with the Crystal Plumage* yes. uh, and uh, uh, Sergio Martino's *Torso*. As yes. well. but she had a run, a run of other, um, quite often lady in peril type yeah. roles. She seemed to spend most of her career being chased. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think uh, this does try and give her a bit more to do towards the end, uh, which uh, which is not necessarily in the book. I think. Yeah, but she, she have, yeah. she's a pretty thin character. Yeah. Yeah, I, she'd been in To Sir With Love. I think that's a sort of breakout. And um, 30 is a Dangerous Age, Cynthia with Dudley Moore, who she was married to for a while, I think. Um, then, uh, uh, actually, she also did Darker Than Amber, that yes, um, Travis McGee. Movie, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Rod Taylor. So, so she was going for those sort of... Yeah, she was in a picture of being an international leading lady. Um, assault, I remember. Uh, yes, uh, but within a couple of years of this, she's she's down to stuff like craze and adventures of a private eye. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah uh, cases can be made for both those films, but. In terms of the work, they were fairly humiliating yeah. gigs yeah, for somebody yeah. who'd been a leading lady two years earlier. Um, according to uh, the IMDb, she was a special guest screamer in Barbarian Sound Studio. Oh, really? Uh, but if it's just that they've used the library track of right. her voice, <laughs> yeah. Um, Well, hard cash would be even nicer, but it does make everything seem worthwhile. Good. Good. Well, uh, perhaps then we should discuss this other check. Um... We haven't mentioned John Vernon yet, who's uh, you know, yeah. reliably uh, sleazy as ever. Yeah, now he was, uh, I mean, uh, I say he's not a token American, he's a token Canadian. Yes. <laughs> um, but he was... <coughs> I mean, he ran this. The, I. He was probably the best supporting creepy guy yeah. of his generation. I mean, he's in a, um, John Borman's Point Blank. He's yeah. the guy yeah. Lee Marvin wants revenge on. Yeah. 
He's the uh, the commissioner who wants to fire Dirty yes, Harry. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, who has that? Ex- yeah, who, it, it, that that great scene where uh, Clint Eastwood explains that if he sees a naked man yeah. with a hard on and a butcher knife chasing a woman down an alley, he shoots him. Yeah, and and John Vernon doesn't approve of that. Yes. Yeah, um, he's also the mafia banker in Charlie Varick. Yes, around yep. this time and it's a this is all a little clutch of performances within a year i mean i'm i wonder he if he got fed up of being typecast of these sort of corporate criminals um but he was so good yes, at them yeah, yeah yeah uh it's it he's one i remember him he had a run of special guest villain roles on television right, around that time. Yeah. i remember him playing a a version of Fidel Castro on Mission Impossible. Uh, And that's the now Sir Ben Kingsley in... uh, First movie role. First movie role. uh, And actually, last movie role until quite a (laughs) while later. um, Obviously, Kingsley had a long um, run. But when um, Gandhi came out which is like 10 years after this film a lot of people listed it as his his screen debut um i and i think technically um it may be his second film is gandhi yep uh um and since then he hasn't stopped working but in fact he didn't stop working um yeah in in those 10 years he's got a ton of of British TV credits, yeah, including playing Edgar Allan Poe in, in a documentary, Need for Nightmare, um, but mostly in um, Play for Today and yeah, um, you know TV Shakespeare's yeah. uh, and and, um. and uh, yeah Crown Court, which uh, uh, is it was was a, a UK TV staple, <laughs> isn't it? It's like every single British actor was in Crown Court at some point. Uh, but, but what I find odd, it must, or was it Kingsley's decision not to make more movies after this? Because you would think, if you were a casting director and you saw this film, yeah. that you would be calling on Ben Kingsley for weasels and thugs. And, well, this is the thing. I mean, yeah. you know, hats off to Michael Tuckner or yeah. whoever would, you know, made the decision to cast him in this for, for spotting way before anyone else did the yeah. fact that Ben Kingsley plays an amazing sociopath. Yeah. You know, this is like 30 years before Sexy Beast and yeah. he reinvents himself in Sexy Beast. Yeah. But they saw that in yeah. this. You know, at one point, Barry Newman refers to him as the guy with the eyes. Yeah. Because he just looks like a yeah. sociopath. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, it considering that it's basically a goon performance, yeah. isn't it? I mean, or it, you know, you look at all film noir or thrillers, villains have goons. Yes. Yeah, and sometimes you get really great goons, and sometimes they're just part of the furniture. Uh, but oh, yeah. I, but he gets to be at the climax in this. He's yeah, the, you know he's, he's the one who won't crack at the climax yeah. because he's mad. You know, Vernon's uh, like cracking and he's not. Yeah. Uh, I suppose he wouldn't quite have fit into Roger Moore's run of Bond films, but he showing the kind of qualities that could have made him a great seventies yeah. Bond villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe obviously he he was he was rather more concerned with the Royal Shakespeare yes. Company and and, and, <laughs> and then and, and then Richard Ambra. You know, I mean. Uh, 
that uh, it's like when when the Bond films decided to have an Anglo-Indian villain, they cast Louis Jordan, yes. a French actor, <laughs> in the role. You know. Um, <laughs> McLean said that his writing idol was Raymond Chandler. Right. Um, uh, and I think when we get to this house, we see a bit of the the big sleep, the complicated right. yes. family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even the um, the runaway daughter of the right. uh, yeah. the yeah. the millionaire who here is is like um, uh, he's not physically infirm, but circumstances have yes. trapped him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And uh, there's certainly a lot of, if you don't know what's going to happen next, yes. have a guy walk through a door with a gun. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but this, again, we get another another reversal, you know, mm. and um, yeah. that's, that, I think that's what's really good about this this film and, yeah. and the book narratively is that it, it just keeps wrong-footing yeah. you. And, I, and this tiny little moment, which is, it, it's a Robert Carrington. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's conveying something which frankly is a bit dodgy yeah. <laughs> in terms of yeah it's asking so, it's something that happens for effect rather than for yes. any logical yeah. reason or character reason but that yeah almost blow and the little smile and the yeah. hug we don't even get any dialogue to explain yeah. it so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like probably because explaining it in the dialogue would have been yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah would have been pushing it you know <laughs> then then you would get into that yeah Come on, move it. This is a um, a film like all early seventies films that features a spectacular range of fashion. Yes, isn't it? Yeah, um, but I think that uh, because it's based on a a. a a novel from 10 years earlier it has a slight squareness which means it doesn't date as yeah. significantly yeah. as some 60s films do uh there's sort of the beginnings of the techno thriller here as yes. well and yeah. that yeah. i think it, it um alice mclean is rather underrated that i mean he did things like ice stations ever or the satan mug which mm -hmm. sort of get close to science fiction um but he never quite goes as far as michael crichton yeah in in that stuff but he he plainly kept up his subscriptions to the the journals and yes, and, yes. and and uh and was up on so i mean it, the, the the novel like a lot of you know chunky thrillers is full of information. It's something yeah, that yeah. Ian Fleming was yeah. a master of. Yeah, if you had a scene at the golf club, he would explain golf to you. And here we get a lot of stuff about oil rigs, which were becoming a bigger thing because of, of North Sea oil in, in Britain in a couple of years. It would become much more familiar as a British subject. But here it's exotic and an American thing. Uh, and it's sort of the oil rig is treated as a almost science fictional futuristic. Right, yes. Yeah, <laughs> now it, they, they're sort of rusty banal relics, yeah. that are famous for disasters <laughs> rather than for their their scientific wonders. Um. 
I mean, do you think there's a certain level of kind of narrative craft that we're in danger of losing now about this? It's sort of like this; these kind of films <laughs> get that for an audience, an unexpected plot development could yeah. be as exciting as something blowing up. Yes, I think that's that's true. I can't think of. I mean, the, the, you do still get movies like this, but they are th the last one I can think of is Michael Bay's Ambulance. Right. Yeah, which is nonstop chase, reversals, explosions, stuff around. But I, I mean, I saw that less than a year ago, and I actually can't remember what it's about, <laughs> you know. Um, but it has that. And as I, I, the the revival of uh yeah the sort of mid mid-range action thrillers i mean it, whatever i at the time i thought of this as the alistair mclean genre you yeah, know? yeah um but uh it's it is odd to me that that none of these films have been remade yeah when they're just lying there as and and when it's easier to get something remade than to get something made yeah yeah, you'd think yeah. that going back to this, oh, absolutely, yeah. and like this, I mean, I, I, you know, the a certain amount of his stuff is, you know, related to World War Two or whatever. Mm. Those kind of movies are not necessarily in vogue anymore. Mm. But this essentially is a revenge thriller and, and, yeah. a, and a very yeah. well plotted one. Yeah. You kind of think there's no real reason you couldn't remake this for yeah. today's audiences, yeah. and um, it wouldn't work. I, I think. Um... There was a. It's like um, Mel Gibson remade Point Blank, yeah. uh, you know, a while back now. But there was a a period when Mel Gibson was making movies like yes. this. I mean, sort of, bit, yeah, when he, he got a bit too old and crusty for Mad Max, but not, but not yes. yet <laughs> as he is now playing old guys. Yes, but th this was the the kind of thriller vehicle that actually suited mel gibson because yeah. he because he also could play bad guys who yes. weren't bad yes. or good guys who were yeah, yeah. um maybe it's something that uh for instance bruce willis wouldn't do the yeah. the lapel turn even though yeah, he's good sure. playing bad yeah. guys sometimes yeah. but um and that and the bruce willis mel gibson generation of leading men a kind of yeah you know, now becoming elder statesman yeah. or getting near retirement um, but i know ryan reynolds, ryan reynolds could yeah. do this you know i mean <laughs> no. And this always struck me as a a particularly dodgy bit of plotting. The the you know, getting out of captivity, visiting an oil rig, poking around, yeah, and then going back to be yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and also the I I can't remember how I felt the first time I saw this. I certainly saw the film before I read the book. Whether I was able to follow right. this, yeah, um, had we quite clocked that uh, that Talbot wasn't yeah uh, a murdering crook yes, after all yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing this film doesn't do that you would do today there is no sequence of 
confirming that that deputy is all right. I think I think he mentioned he it. mentions yeah, it. Yeah, but you, you yeah. These days, you have that thing where somebody gets up and and shows you the powder burn right, on yes. the on the <laughs> uh, the bulletproof vest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or he t- he you know you get a, a pointless cameo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's just. Whatever that was about, we never see the judge again, who who set it all up. Yeah. Now I'm assuming that they shot on a real oil rig. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. Um, I, there are bits and pieces of it which are plainly, or or I assume would be done as sets for safety, but it's got that kind of. Um, authentic documentary type feel, which yeah. I, which actually I associate with British directors. Yeah, it's, and you sort yeah. of think this is, I mean, this is a sort of reasonably budgeted movie, but but yeah. not huge. Mm. Yeah, one wonders if they, how much they spent on that car chase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And I think one of the things that suggests to me that it is uh, um, a real rig is we don't get much weather stuff. Um, later on, there's supposed yes. to be a storm, yeah. and we don't yeah. get much lashing the rig because it's imp- it's impossible yes. to fake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there is some model work in here somewhere, but it's that very high quality yeah. Yeah. stuff that that is sort of difficult to spot. In fact, the um, special effects guys, Derek Meddings, who was known for oh, pro- yeah. model work. Yes, I mean, he's the yeah, uh, yeah uh, Thunderbirds and Stingray. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. so yeah, if you wanted to blow up an oil rig, Derek <laughs> Meddings was the guy you would bring in. Yeah, um, but, uh, and he went straight from this to live and let die. So. <laughs> Plainly, the uh, the Bond films were paying attention. Yeah. But sort of interestingly, all, you know, all this kind of techno oil rig stuff has very little to do with the actual plot. Yes, yeah. it's it's just a device to get them yeah. to the bottom of the ocean so that Barry Newman can go. Yes. that's the plane where my dead family, yeah. you know, the, the bodies yeah. of my dead family are. Yeah. Um, I wonder if the initial initial impetus for writing the novel was just to write about oil rigs <laughs> you know i mean yeah it, it it's like mclean um sometimes would do that wouldn't he he would yeah. hang entire stories around yeah uh yeah the canals of amsterdam yes, yeah. is one isn't it it's just wouldn't it be great having a chase through canals yeah well yeah it would yeah uh and And the um, the wealthy family and the big sleep are also in oil. I mean, it's because it's a uh, a big theme in in um, American film noir. Um, uh, probably because it's a really great metaphor for corruption. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the oil seeping out of the. Uh, Although he's quite, um, you get this a couple of times. It's in this, and I think it's in Where Eight Bills Tall as well. The, the the tycoon character in it is actually benevolent. He's just being yeah. sort of held hostage by 
criminal forces. Yeah, um, Alistair McLean does seem to have a bit more sympathy with rich people. Yes, I think, which, you know, uh, I think if this were remade now, the rich guy would be in on it. He yeah, would be... Uh, yeah. Um, it, reading the, the novel, I got a sense that it might not just be a natural sympathy. It might be trying to do what you don't expect. You expect the tycoon yeah. in these stories to be the baddie. And so, no, it's not. Yeah. It's the other guy. Um, although he does repeat it. Um, it's interesting. It, McLean um, became wealthy as, as a writer, but he then um, decided to become a hotelier for yes. a couple of years <laughs> and lost all the money. And yes. so, so he wasn't actually very good at being a rich guy. Um, and he came back to being a, a writer <laughs> yes. uh, in, in, in later life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like him and Kastner would eventually sort of fall yeah. out massively. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it was over money owed from where Eagles Dare. Uh, well, yeah, I, he, he persisted as a writer for a while. And then he did that odd thing of becoming a brand name and licensing somebody yeah. else yeah. to write. Alistair McLean novels, which doesn't quite work because apart from he did two Navarone stories, but he didn't, although he introduced characters like the um, the spy in Where It Was Told could easily have been a series yes. character. He didn't do series. And so when you license, you're just licensing an Alistair McLean type story yes. and you sort of think, well, you could probably get Robert Ludlum or Ken Follett. Yes. You know, I mean, they're they're on the racks. You know, there there are Wilbur Smith. There are other yeah. alternatives. Yeah. Even Michael yeah. Crichton. Yeah, I can see how. Uh, you know, it's been said that Lee Child might license Jack Reacher right. and and yes. franchise yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, that works because you've got a character to hook on. Yeah. The Alison McLean clearly has a formula. That yeah. you could write to, but frankly, anybody could but if what, they wanted. Yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. what he's bringing to the books yeah. is the stuff he knew about. It's the sea. It's yeah. you know uh, the, yeah. the stuff he uh, he experienced when he was in the navy. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't know if. if uh, I mean, the, uh, there were a whole bunch of yeah. Um, is it yeah? Alice, Alistair McCain branded novels. They've all disappeared by the, the way. So yeah. I did, I mean, um, in prep for this, I did check and, and see that Alistair McCrane is still in print. Um, yeah, you can find relatively recent editions of his better-known novels. So he's still got his place on the racks um, 50, 60 years yeah, after, yeah, after yeah, his yeah. heyday. Um, but obviously, uh, there's a, a, a thing that some... Big bestsellers of their era, yes, uh, are bypassed, and you know, he sort of comes in in that. Uh, obviously, Ian Fleming has lasted, yeah, but yeah. say Hammond Innes, yeah, yeah, who was an, another writer mm -hmm. very, very like this, yeah. hasn't. I mean, is it, it, yeah. Uh, is a real back backlist name. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd have to haunt ABE books to, <laughs> to, uh, to get your your copy of the Wreck of Mary Dear. Um, and now we sort of you know mm. up the narrative stakes yet again. Yeah. He sort of mm. finds out that they've rumbled his 
yeah. his mate. It's, we're now on to the I know that you know yes. stage yeah, of, this, yeah, yeah. of this plot. Yeah. And I don't think it ever actually really tells you how they rumbled his mate. Yeah. Um, um, but there were, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, in the novel, it's slightly more complicated because they also, they not only murder him, but they sort of frame him for the, right, the right. killing as well. <laughs> to, uh, and as far as we know at this point, he's still a bad guy. Yeah. We, yeah. Because even though we found he was working in cahoots with the we bad guy, why. we didn't know yes. whether they were good yeah. or not. Yeah. And they, it, it's more, we, we thought that they were both bad guys. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's only later we find he's a, a heroic cop. Yeah. yeah. Um, rather than a corrupt cop who was on the take, which is the. But yeah, this is all sort of good effective stuff. It's like stage very well, mm. you know, the kind of slightly gothic element mm. of him unearthing the sort of I, dead body. Yeah, you know, a lot of McLean um, thrillers have these uh, macabre streaks, don't they? I mean, Puppet on a Chain has a, a castle and a whole right. gruesome thing with. Weird, weird dolls that look like uh, the the victims, and obviously where Eagles Dare is invading a yes, castle. Yep. Um, when Eight Bells Toll, it's this sort of landscape. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a kind of yeah bleak chase across <laughs> across uh, um, desolate Scots landscape. And and again, there's a sort of uh, the overtones. It may well be that the um, the action thriller as a whole is in a line of descent from the Victorian sensation novel, sure, your yeah. Wilkie Collins, um, uh, or going back a bit further, Caleb Williams, um, um, William Godwin's story. That that those sort of you know unjustly accused man on the run from yes, the evil yeah, forces, yeah. Um, often with uh, aristocratic villains, but with but with not even supernatural elements, but overtones yes, yeah, of, of yeah, the yeah, Gothic. Right? Yeah. It may also be that that just so permeated British genre cinema. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, at yeah. the time that we got. And, and and here we literally have an old dark house with a thunderstorm yes, on, a, yeah. on a dark and stormy <laughs> night with, with yeah, a burial in the ground yeah. with, with yeah, all, all of this stalking around. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have the imperiled daughter yes. of the house. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like stuff that it, conventions that go back to Anne Radcliffe. Yeah, yeah. Um, that may just be in the bones of popular fiction. Yeah, uh, and no matter how you try and get away from them, they're always yes. going to be there. Yeah. They're always yeah. these yeah. beats. Um, and so not only does he sort of reuse this plot set up in Break Up Past, this yes. scene is also yes. kind of verbatim <laughs> yeah. replayed yes. as well with Charles Bronson and Jill yeah. Island. Yeah. I I think Break Up Past is, is a really interesting... Uh, it's, it's Alistair McLean's attempt to do a Western, isn't it? Yeah. But it's a Western made up of bits and pieces of other Alistair <laughs> yes. McLean stories, isn't it? Instead of hanging off a cable car, it's hanging yes. off a speeding yes. train. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a U.S. Secret Service agent pretending yeah. to be an outlaw. Yeah. 
Uh, and there is a corrupt senator, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Instead of a corrupt businessman. Yep. And he's in cahoots <laughs> with... Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's not even a... Um, yeah, a disguised remake. It is recycling. Yeah, it's essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and it's the un- the unknown killer as well. Someone's bumping off the passengers yes. in that, which you get in Bear Island as yeah. well. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I think that uh, yeah, Alistair McLean never met a pudding he didn't want to over egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one of the, the the reasons I think this film stands out is that. Robert Carrington wrote it rather than as yes, McLean. Yep. And I think Carrington sometimes pulls back from stuff that McLean leans into. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like he 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 uses the same hackneyed devices but finds ways to make them yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's you know it's sort of even when it, I know it was it was a big deal when Castor persuaded uh, McLean to write mm. Where Eagles Dare as an original yeah. screenplay, but I think even with that he delivered a screenplay that was like 170 pages long, yeah. and it was Castor and, and yeah. Brian G. Hutton that whittled yeah. it down to 130 yeah. pages. And that and that is kind of it's basically the guns of Navarone. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the guns of Navarone, but with a a murder mystery in there yes. and, and a castle <laughs> and and uh, yeah, a, a much bigger body count. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. which which he was apparently not impressed by. Oh, it, uh, McLean was like, I was writing, I was writing an anti-war movie, yeah. and it's got all this killing in it. But, um, <laughs> I remember because. Where Eagles Dare was a big film when I was a kid. It was like it came round repeatedly. At our cinema would put right. it on I'm, because I'm, it knew, I'm very fond of Where Eagles knew, Dare. Yeah, there was there was a kid in our, our class. In fact, the our official school bully um, who counted the number of Nazis that Clint Eastwood <laughs> killed. Apparently, it was eighty four Nazis Clint Eastwood shot in in Where Eagles Dare, and this kid was sort of delighted with this, this figure. Um, and 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 years later, I watched it again, and you know what? He was right. He had got the right number. Of, of it. Even if, yeah, the, the 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 bits where yeah you get random fire. Yeah, yes. yeah this, the, this kid had patiently, and and this was well before like you could freeze frame yeah, or whatever. Yeah. He, he sat in a cinema and counted the number of Nazis. <laughs> Um, this has rather a low body count. Well, um, yeah, it's uh, McLean was apparently quite anti-violence. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. A lot of people who had been through a war yes, yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Ironically, um, Clint Eastwood says the same thing um, that his his own um, uh, basic training experience or yeah, uh, uh, his own being drafted in the fifties means that whenever he depicts war, it wars in films, right. he's really yes. super <laughs> against it. Although he's made a series of films that conservatives have interpreted as pro-war. If you look at them, they're yeah, really yeah, not. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, it, the experience of world war two, yes, which yeah. had not been a good one, let's face <laughs> it for uh, um, a lot of, uh, of people. It, it, absolutely hangs over all yeah, the books yeah and i think uh, you get with with mclean you get a lot of villains falling off of high places yes, and things yeah. like that conveniently yeah. rather than being killed yeah uh mm. and i think even like break our past you know charles bronson of all people explicitly says i'm not a man of violence yeah yeah um I, certainly in it yeah 
I, I yeah, people do die in in, in sure, this yeah. film, but it's not in the way that I, again, I, yeah, I wonder if my old school bully has ever watched Die Hard and counted how many terrorists <laughs> yes. Bruce Willis kills. But you know, it's yeah. Um, this isn't a body count no. movie like that. Uh, he, on the whole, and, and in fact, in some uh, McLean films, I mean, Guns of Navarone in particular, there's there's actually a a great hesitation about mm. killing. In in and there's a sort of uh, yeah, even even whether it's justified to kill a traitor under extreme circumstances, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. it's an actual issue. I've got to say this. The Guns of Navarone was made at the period when you could just about pass it off as a serious, important film rather than a romp. Yes, <laughs> you know, which which it blatantly was. It is the uh, between HMS and Ulysses and the Guns of Navarone. Yeah, yeah McLean had, had switched yes. styles, yep. um, and then he became the master of the romp. The guys <laughs> so on a mission movie. Yeah, yeah. the the. Uh, the the stuff that uh, <laughs> yeah, um, you know I don't think I've met many women who are big Alistair McLean no. <laughs> fans, but he is a real bloke yes, writer, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, it, uh, uh, I suppose Andy McNabb has that as well, but yeah, uh, I I suppose that what the films try and do to make up for that is to cast. Interesting leading men who might be considered to have an appeal to uh, female audiences. And actually not in an obvious way. Maybe Clint Eastwood is was yeah. at that time clearly among the most handsome men sure, in the world. Yes, Frankly, yeah. he is now. And he's, <laughs> uh, and, and he's, uh, yeah, he was like supernaturally good looking. <laughs> but if you look at this run of Barry Foster, Sven Bertil Torber, yeah. Anthony Hopkins... <clears throat> They were all the kind of leading men that your mum liked. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was something about them that was approachable and appealing, even when they were playing rough tough guys. It's hard to remember that Anthony Hopkins started out as kind of a heartthrob. I mean, he posed shirtless for Cosmopolitan. Yeah. Um, And and he first sort of attained prominence in in britain playing pierre in a long adaptation of war and peace where he's the sensitive guy rather right, yeah. than the soldier guy and and then from that he went to when eight bells toll which was his first shot at movie stardom although he'd been in the line in winter and a, and a few other bits and pieces but he was explicitly positioned to be not your yeah callous, brutal Sean yes, Connery type yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, he was a much more feeling, emp- empathetic agent. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and, like, uh, and you know, and gets beaten up quite a lot yes, in that movie. Yeah. He's, you know, not much of a natural fighter. Yeah. Whereas here, you know, Barry Newman, although he starts out in the in the film as if he's playing a cold-hearted thug yeah. and a killer, actually he's a wounded, grieving yeah. family man. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's the. Um, yeah, again, the, the plot spur of so many yes. um, yeah, action movies, isn't it? The, the, the murdered family, the lost family. Um, yeah, uh, I suppose on a similar note as well, it's like you, you look at these films, the, the sort of run of McLean movies, and they're basically all directed by kind of journeyman directors. Yeah. You don't get any big-name directors. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, even J. Lee Thompson and Brian G. Hutton. Yeah. 
Yeah, who do great work yes, on those yeah, films. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, they are consistently undervalued yeah. as filmmakers because they work on movies like this. But they, you're, they're not even John Sturgis, are yeah, they? Yeah. Uh, who, who did The Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape, which were other you know, key bloke pictures yes, of yeah. men on a mission. Yeah. And and certainly they're not in, in shouting distance of Robert Aldrich, yeah. um, who did The Dirty Dozen and, and uh, a bunch of other much more complicated and, and, and challenging and ambiguous yes. films. Um, but yeah, now it, it is... I wonder, is that because there's a sense that the auteur of these films or the perceived yes. auteur is yeah. Alistair MacLean. Yes. Yeah. Um, many of them do have possessory credits yes. for him. Yeah. 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 I can only imagine that's it. And it's, you know, you sort of think, because watching something like Bear Island, which is a, a sort of fairly turgid movie, mm. um, but you look at it and you go, well, it's basically the thing without an alien. You sort yeah. of think John Carpenter could have directed the hell out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Frankly, Don Sharp could have directed the hell out of this if he'd, if he'd been uh, given a better shot at yeah. it. Don Sharp did direct Bear yeah. Island, but and and Sharp, I mean Sharp directed uh, the one scene in Puppet on a Chain that everybody remembers. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, it's like I I don't really recommend it. I mean, Puppet on a Chain is an okay movie. But it is a great speed right, chase. Yeah. That's a film that does put its big action scene very near right. the climax. <laughs> um, but it's a, an absolute textbook. Right. And, and, it, and I assume that the reason for it is that there's a feeling that after this, doing another car chase yeah. was not going to watch. And I wonder, did McLean, even though he repeats plot, and, and character ideas he doesn't often repeat action so this has cars and an oil rig puppet on a chain has speedboats break heart pass has a train yeah yeah um they sort of variations so we thing. get a different vehicle different things <laughs> yes. to chase and fight yep. around yes um the train is good because it's essentially you know it's a moving vehicle but it's also like an oil rig somewhere you can dangle off and yes. hang and have, have yeah. fights and everything yeah. I suppose both um, Guns of Navarone and Where Eagles Dare are climbing up a mountain stories. To blow but something up. But yes. they're different mountains. Yes. They're, they're different. And, um, yeah, uh, and, 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 and I think of, of Where Eagles Dare is the cable car. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yes. Movie. That's, that's but again, the, you, get, yeah. you, know, you get the cable car fight in that. You get the moving train fight and break yeah. glass. Um, radios as well. He's obsessed with radios. There's always yeah. plot points involving radios in McLean. Yeah, it starts... This this story starts yes, with, with, the radio. with the radio, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and, yeah, there's a whole... There's a, a thing that's kind of brilliant in the novel it's re it's reproduced in the film but it's, but you don't really have time to explain it there's a fight in the radio room and the hero is up against a much bigger guy and the point of the scene is that he's got to a defeat the guy and b not wreck the radio which he's right. got to send the vital signal <laughs> yeah. from um and again, I think that's the thing that McLean is great at, is coming up with action sequences that have a plot point, have right, a point, yes, um, uh, yeah, uh, something yeah. that will move the story forward. And it is that, <laughs> the yeah, I, uh, I, I don't have 
much patience with the Robert McKee school of right, yeah. screenwriting advice. But one of the best sort of visions of three act structure is, yeah, act one, you get stuck up a tree. Act two, you get stuck further up the tree. <laughs> act three, you get down from yes. the tree. What McLean does is act two over and over again. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yeah. that is a great model for um, action suspense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like yeah. every problem solved should st- should mean two more you problems come up. to another problem, up. yes. Yeah. 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 And it's what our quite in, in say, the... the James Bond series, or in, in some of the, the espionage-related ones, the hero is a professional. It's their job to do this stuff. Here we've got a character who isn't quite a professional, although it turns out he's yeah, uh, yeah working undercover yeah, in, in a yeah. way that no real law yes, enforcement yeah. organization <laughs> would ever send a civilian yeah. to do. But he's got you know, the, the, uh, the, the various experiences. And, yes. and I think yeah. it's not mentioned... Uh, whether he's picked it up in the services, but in the in the novel he's got a war record because right, of course yeah. it's nineteen sixty one. Everybody had war records, yeah. and that was quite often used as a shorthand for explaining why our macho hero could do all yes. sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's like oh, he learned to do that when he was doing bomb disposal or uh, yeah, um, <laughs> invading Normandy Beach or <laughs> all, the, all the, the things that. Uh, you know, tough guys in the the fifties and sixties and into the seventies could rely on their war records. And then there was a little Philip as Vietnam veteran side, <laughs> you know, uh, showing their <laughs> their salt as tough guys. Whereas um, in westerns, it was you had to be raised by Indians. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although there were a few Civil War veterans who, who heard that. Right? Um, Ray McAnally was an actor who was around a, a yeah. lot, wasn't he? Yeah. It it's I. I looked him up and I was surprised at how long ago he died. Um, in the he he seemed to be um, absolutely only for us. It was 1989 he died, um, and yet he had yeah it, a lot of TV in the um, the 60s and 70s. He was again lots and lots of guest star roles, but from the Early ages, it, it's um, he was an Irish actor, and uh, Neil Jordan put him in Angel, his first yep. film. And actually, I think his last film was uh, We're No Angels for right. Neil Jordan as well. But then suddenly, he was a, um, a yeah, he, he seemed to do that very British uh, actor thing of alternating beti- between playing um, Irishmen. I mean, he was yeah. in like No Surrender right. <laughs> and, and, and uh, 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 Taffin, that Pierce Brosnan action film, and playing um, <laughs> Russian generals. Right. He's, he's, the, he's the guy in the Fourth <laughs> Protocol who, uh, yeah, yeah, the, you know, General Karpov. <laughs> and so he did a bunch of parts like that. Uh, I particularly remember him in a, in a, uh, a weird and perhaps not very good British film I'm rather fond of, Empire State, which is the most 1980s film. <laughs> yeah, it's about you know gay clubbers and gangsters. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, it starts Catherine Harrison and Elizabeth Hickling. Um, but but he's like 
the Mr. Big. Right, of, yeah, yeah. In that film. I mean, it's a really flamboyantly evil performance. Yeah, that's sort of yeah. what I remember him most as, is kind of these snarly characters where he's quite buttoned down in this. Yeah. Um, because he's the guy we're supposed to think is the big villain, yeah. but actually isn't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is an example of what we were talking about earlier, is the sort of McLean fight scene where the bad guy sort of accidentally dies yes. rather than being killed by Barry Newman. Yeah. As um, uh, in the in the novel, there's a whole other thing. This character is um, he's, he's a drug addict who's also John Vernon's hated son. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, um, and there's another character who's like the 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 thug, and they've just combined them and dropped the drug addiction right, yes. and the uh, the bizarre family <laughs> stuff. Yeah. It's it's a a a weird little. Uh, aside is I've collected the early 70s um, paperback editions of Alistair McLean with the film tie-in covers and like several of the others this has now a major film written on it but it doesn't have images from the film it restages that fight scene we just saw but on the cover it's um it's in daylight with no storm right. <laughs> uh whereas in the film and and you can't see the faces of the characters so it's not um barry foster but uh say so looking through i've got the the whereas where eagles dare and break heart pass and when eight bells told they have Anthony Hopkins, yeah. Charles Bronson, and Richard Burton big on the cover. Um, Puppet on a Chain has a, a, strangely enough, it has a still from a, a, a sequence that isn't quite edited this way that right. in in the film itself, but and it but it has the, what was typical of the the back cover of of an Alistair MacLean, um, it would have the film still from the one scene in the film that looked vaguely romantic so it's the hero <laughs> and the heroine is it in the on the um the back cover of where eagles dare you have uh, ingrid pitt and right, uh, richard burton <laughs> as if this was a film about um richard burton falling in love with a mountain girl played by ingrid pitt as opposed to ingrid pitt being in one or two scenes and uh, and conveying some exposition before they get on with the business of killing nazis yeah uh, but ingrid pitt isn't even the female lead of, no. of, of where eagles dare that's uh, mary ewer um but um but the and the the back cover of uh, Furious the Key doesn't even have the bedroom scene of Barry, right. Barry Newman <laughs> and Susie Kendall. Um, <laughs> you have to admire the way Barry Norman Newman intensely conveys exposition over the phone. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's the sort of thing that, from experience, I know actors hate yeah. it. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that temperamental actors make a fuss of on right. set. Yes, oh, and directors say, yeah. no, seriously, just say yes, this. Yeah. The film depends <laughs> on the audience being able to follow this yes, stuff. Yeah. I know it's not anything that would... Yeah, it's it's impossible for a method actor to get yes, behind. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but Newman, I think maybe because he did a lot of TV work. Yeah, uh, quite possibly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and... It, after his, you know, his his big screen Vogue kind of fast, they say he made this series Petrocelli, which started out as actually a, a a really interesting TV movie called The Lawyer, which was very cynical and disenchanted, and then it became just a solid lawyer yeah. show. But he was a good TV leading man. Yeah. He he had that 
um, so again, likable but intense presence. Um, and it seems to me that that almost all the rest of his career was television. Um, he had that. He had a sort of semi comeback in the nineties where he sort of transitioned into character roles and he was playing sort of guys in suits. Uh, you know, like Soderbergh cast him in the Limey. That's right. Very yeah. much because yeah. You know, because of Vanishing Point, because the the casting in the Limey is mm. all these kind of counterculture. Yeah, items. and he's in Bowfinger as yeah. well. Uh, yeah, and and actually Brown's Requiem, that Michael Rooker, yes. James Elroy yeah. movie. Yeah. And yeah, it is casting him because of his yeah. associations, which in a way is almost a waste because you think. Well, I think yeah, he's good in the Limey. Cause... It's like he can play that kind yeah. of like you know, yeah. you know, guy in a guy in a suit. <laughs> Sort yeah. of callous bastard in a suit. Yeah, um, but but still, mostly it was guest shots on Murder She Wrote. <laughs> you know, it, 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 yeah. Um, it, uh, as of this recording, he's still alive. Yeah. Um, though his last film credit is 2015. Um, but uh, yeah. So it's not it's not too late for Quentin Tarantino to cast Absolutely. him in, in, yeah. in, 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 in the remake of Fear as the Key as, yeah. as the tycoon. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just as a, a sort of test case of how good he is, he's holding the screen with Ben Kingsley, yeah. yeah. which frankly a lot of actors have found yes. to be yeah. difficult. <laughs> isn't it? Um, yeah, ben Kingsley is one of those acting legends yeah. that some other actors are wary of because they know it's like yeah um that that yeah <laughs> the the other cast members of sexy beast yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah ray winston ian mcshade does anyone remember them they're good in yeah, that film yeah 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 but yeah uh ben kingsley absolutely yeah Walks and away yes, with it, you know, yeah. uh, and it's probably not often you'd say that about Ray Winston, but no, you know. yeah, yeah, um, but and and uh, again, it's it, it's a it's a very small pool of of actors you can come in who will intimidate yes. Ray Winston, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and and I, 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 I maybe in that weird way that that being associated with a huge franchise is kind of. It warping your perspective of the career but his role in in marvel's movies recently where he's set up as being the guy who's the most terrifying villain in the world and then isn't yes <laughs> um, yeah it sort of says you can see why the the uh, the uh, the uh the actual villain of iron man 3 would hire ben kingsley <laughs> yes. to pretend to be the most terrifying man in the world and then he turns around and, and gives because the other thing about Ben Kingsley that's not often noticed is what a great comedian he is with. Well, yes, because yeah. he's very rarely asked yeah. to be funny. Yeah. But, yeah, like a lot of uh, yeah British actors who've been through stage and television training, he can do pretty much yeah, anything. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Which isn't to say that he hasn't made <laughs> a lot of indifferent movies in there well, somewhere. Sure, yes. yeah, he, he, <laughs> he has gone from... Uh, yeah, yeah. Presumably needing the money, you know, yes. for, for, or, uh, or just well, liking you know, the work. Uh, <laughs> we, we recorded a commentary for Species, which is probably yes. not one of the highlights of his career. Indeed, and he's in an Uwe Boll film as yeah. well. So, you know, um, that's... Uh, uh, when do we get to that chasm? Pretty soon. About two-thirds of the way. 
Whose calculations are these? We had an engineer work it all out. And here we get into... You're right. This is the actual climax yeah. of the film. Three people yeah. in a bathysphere. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that it's Derek Medding's model outside. Yeah. But it's a really good one. It's, I mean, it's like... Um, Part of the aesthetic of those supermarination shows is because they're puppet shows, you you sort of realize you're looking at models yeah. and you kind of, yeah, it's part of the slightly distancing effect. Whereas this is invisible in yeah. terms of, well, I, I, I understand, um, I'm not particularly up on, on special effects, but I understand from talking to people who are, that the trick with miniature models is to make them as big as possible. Right, yes. Yeah. Um the bigger they are, the more detail and sometimes even things making it at like quarter scale or half scale. Um there's a a miniature truck in the Terminator, which is which nobody even realizes is a right, miniature yeah. because it's huge. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the size of a car. Um at, uh, and I believe in that film what they did um, to save on the budget was they found a miniature truck and then got a real truck to match it. Right, okay. Um, there's a very slight matte fringe there, although I not as noticeable as it usually is in films of this vintage. Um, yeah, oh yeah. Part of me wonders as well whether this this crossed anyone's minds. You know, the, this climax basically revolves around Barry Newman saying, "I'm going to get revenge on you for killing my family, yeah. and I'm you. I'm going to kill yeah. all of us." Yeah. Um, and you kind of believe he's going to do it. And mm. I wonder whether anyone thought about the fact that Vanishing Point ends with Barry Newman killing himself. Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, it is um, exactly what happens in the book. I mean, it's yeah. not. Uh, um, new material but uh, but uh, you know I think he really sells it in this yeah. and there is this weird um, yeah the, the movie convention that if you're you know your family have died then you, your life isn't worth yes. living and you're yeah. now an expendable yes. character yeah. that it is possible for uh, yeah a, a, a revenge hero to yes. die at the yeah. end that, yeah. that, that's yeah. not um yeah, yeah. Off, off, off the the books as they would as yeah. 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 Clint Eastwood wouldn't die at the end of Dirty Harry. No. Um, although he has a dead wife in the in the backstory of that as well, but it's not not stressed. Um, and here we finally get the explanation of, the, of, the, of the what prologue. this whole film is actually yeah. about. Um, and I. I Carrington again slims down yeah. the book, which gives you a lot more detail of, of because you don't really care which government has put sure, what, yeah, of course. what's in the plane. Um, but what Carrington does retain um, is the monologue about the dead son, yeah. uh, which is actually really strong material. It's the kind of thing that I suspect an American movie wouldn't have. Right, gone for yeah. i think uh american movies tend to be much more sentimental yeah. about 
their dead wives and children right, in these, yes, yeah. these, uh, these these movies. Whereas this is harsh yeah. about uh, the the fact that the bad guys have incidentally killed his kid. Yeah. Um, it's not even the big thing yeah. that, <laughs> that they were after. Yeah. And, uh, I think we have to say that nobody does suave evil cracking under pressure yes. <laughs> better than john vernon isn't it his 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 blubbering breakdowns yes, it's, yeah no. uh, yeah he doesn't oversell it no um but yeah no he cracks very well <laughs> the you know this the idea that all bad guys are cowards really yes. you, you definitely yeah. get that with vernon yeah no it it, it it is the u unique selling point of his, yes. his particular <laughs> brand of perfidy. Yeah. In about six minutes, we start to die. What are you talking about? I'm talking about not being able to breathe. And it, it isn't just a climax of three, three men in a room. It's three men in a room with no actual outbursts of real violence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ben Kingsley ends up sort of shooting Vernon semi by yeah. accident. Yeah, um, uh, but there's no, uh, yeah, <laughs> of the stuff you might expect. Yeah, there's no yeah. fight scene or anything yeah. like that, really. What kind of a joke is this? No joke. I rewired the circuit. I think the novel explains that it would be a really bad idea to fire a gun in this thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Although, yeah. But it's just a great mm. setup because you think there's there's absolutely nothing the bad guys can do, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah, I mean, what more can they take from him? Yeah. Uh, and it's like they can't force him, you know, he doesn't mm. he's basically said he's willing to die to mm. get, you know, for their, to get revenge on them. <laughs> it's 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 a sort of great little uh, setup mm. for a climax. Mm. Although we still have a bunch of plots to resolve <laughs> yeah. up on the surface. So they just shot it out of the sky. I'm not sure how much of it actually gets resolved. It's the thing, you, do. you don't even really get a wrap-up scene at the end. Mm. This is sort of like, you know... Yeah. Uh, once the bad guys are taken care of, the movie basically kind of ends. Yeah. yeah. And here we have another gruesome yeah. gothic touch um, this image turns up in several 70s thrillers yes. isn't it? The, the, the skeletons in the crash plane yeah. in, in, in the sea it's it sort of um, God knows why it, it became a recurrent thing but it did um, now I don't believe there have been five consecutive minutes during that time that I've ever thought of anything else it's just the loosening of yes. the tie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. Do you think that Michael Sackler's television experience informs this? Because it's a very television style. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I intense confrontation under pressure. Yeah. yeah. Which basically that was the Wednesday play. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But I, I I think that's an advantage as well because he knows that he doesn't have to do anything here other mm. than you know just just capture the drama. He's got three good actors in a room. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to mm. oversell it. You know, and I think this is sort of where Barry Newman really comes into mm. his own. It's just like if you had a big action star in this scene, I don't think you'd yeah. get this kind of intensity. Yeah, and I, and it's also not the kind of stuff you can get from, uh, yeah, a conventional good-looking leading man yeah. type. I mean, uh, so and we're getting to the, the progressive close-ups of sweat, yes. and slightly more expressionist lighting. Um, And as ever with McLean, it's the sea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those, those years on the, on the ship really got no, to us in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Air pollution warning. It's going to get a little painful now. Who's the man in charge? I suppose, like you know, the, the the idea is he has to get them to confess, but it's, mm. it's it's kind of incidental. It's sort of like yeah. what he's really doing is kind of triumphing over yeah. over them. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if they confess, it will uh, save their lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the novel has an epilogue in which. It's established that Violent John Vernon's character commits suicide. He throws he right. drops he throws himself off the oil rig, so right. he's not arrested. Okay. But Royale, um, Ben Kingsley's character, goes to the chair. Right. Or, or the right. gas chamber right. or whatever <laughs> whatever the method of execution right. is in, in, in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Um it's, uh, and then it it is there's nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. It, it 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 ends like, you know, on a beach and and sort of more weather. You know, right. yeah. Uh, um, and and uh, bleak despair. They got they got yeah. The guys, the guy's wife and family are still gone. Yeah, um, and it, you know he just you know goes back to nothing. Which, right, which is. An unusual ending for a, a novel. You would expect for this kind of a, a book to have some sort of up. But there's no it suggestion... That he's going to rebuild his life with Susie Kendall yeah, or something like that. That's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that is a a kind of honesty that yeah. is... Yeah. Um, wasn't exactly unusual then, but is vanishingly rare yes, now yeah, as a, yeah, yeah. a way of finishing a, a, a story like this. Um, and you know, and it's not how Taken ends. No, yeah. no, um, you know, and 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 this doesn't even bother with any of that. It's yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's once it's over, it's yeah. over. Uh, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Well, especially you know, there's too many films these days. You get sort of ending piled upon ending. Yeah. You know, and this is a. I mean, it's not actually. Um, uh, a particularly short film, but no, yeah, it, it's well past the ninety-minute mark. But uh, 
Yeah, so at least we kill <laughs> what the, our bad guy yes. in a slightly different way. Yeah. But I, I say I think firing a gun in in a pressurized <laughs> in, uh, environment like that is is like really. I I imagine when Alistair McLean saw the film, he would have complained about that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because um, it strikes me that that was something that he was particularly yes, concerned imagine, yeah. with. Yes, is that. Um, plausibility in in terms of he, he's very like a science fiction writer in that right sense yes yeah, yeah. of caring about the technology the te and the yes, circumstances yeah. and not wanting yeah the unbelievable stuff yes. that you got <laughs> in roger moore's bond films yes, yeah, yeah yeah uh it, it he seemed to have thought that that was yeah, yeah. de classe yeah, or whatever yeah. no matter there are all kinds of th uh, things he did that were yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, plausible, it's like implausible terms of the plot. Fine, that's yeah. okay. But yeah, but he wanted all the stuff about how a bathosphere works yes. to be yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, that he, he maybe he had the soul of a Scots engineer. <laughs> you know, that, that seemed to be it's, it's, it's. Your big climax, yeah. Uh, it's like I, I can't think when the last time a a suspense action movie, uh, yeah, yes, took this stratagem of yeah, yeah. ending everything in miniature. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's sort of. I mean, it makes sense. It works. Yeah. yeah but it's absolutely. kind of counterintuitive to what the way action films yes, yeah. started being made. Yeah. It, it's like, it, I think more more often from the, the 1980s, the impression was that you wanted the your really unbelievable stuff in the last reel. Yes, you yes. wanted, you know, Bruce Willis riding an explosion. Yes, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. That, yeah. Approach to this, yeah. Um. I'm coming up. I'm coming up. So, what was your um, personal experience of this movie? When did you first see it? This, I, I saw this relatively recently. It was not one I saw as a kid. Uh, I saw the sort of bigger McLean movies, mm. but this one sort of passed me by. And it was only, I think, recently when it started to be rediscovered mm. that I finally caught up to it and thought, yeah, actually, this mm. is a really sort of terrific, underrated mm. action thriller. I'm, I'm glad that sort of releases like this are going to help it, yeah. it you know, continue to be rediscovered. Was I... I still think this is a really interesting little run of films that are overlooked because they're against the prevailing narrative of what 1970s cinema yes, was. Yes. Um, I, I, I think that you can see things happening here that would then occur. Oh, one other thing. Nobody involved in this film seems to know how to pronounce the Scots surname <laughs> Riven. But, you know... Um, <laughs> But frankly, some people who have the name Riven yes. <laughs> uh, have been pronouncing it in different ways. It's, it's, uh. 
Um, and yeah, like so many movies from this period as well, that were sort of taken for granted a bit at the time, you look at them now and because they don't exist yeah. anymore, you think... Oh, and we've not talked about Roy no. Budd's astonishing yes, score. No, Roy absolutely. Budd, the man who, who did the great score for Get Carter, did too few film scores. One of his other great scores is for a terrible film called Mama Dracula, which still has a brilliant score. <laughs> and... Um, uh, a couple of years back I saw the premiere of his score for the silent Phantom of the Opera but this isn't a kind of get Carter level showy score yep. but it's still uh, you know first rate yes. work yep. uh, he, he's he's Britain's Lalo Schifrin isn't he yeah, yeah, yeah. so certainly should have been yeah, yeah. See, entirely on location. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, although I suspect the model work was done yeah, in, in Orenwood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 